Okay, so um, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're going to read from there in just a little second. Um, And uh, while you're looking it up, I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that Jesus is the word. He is the living embodiment of your word. Father, he is the very expression of the Father. And Father, I just pray that you'd help us to hear the living word today. Father, not just dry words or man's thoughts. And uh, Father, I pray that none would be seen or heard except Jesus this morning. And Father, as we read your word, we pray that you'd open our eyes to hear what the Spirit would say to us. Open our eyes and ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. And Father, we just pray that we would receive from all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So John chapter 10, and I'm going to read through uh, the first 18 verses of that, uh, reading from the New International Version. Um, Earlier on this week, uh, I was just thinking about what she'd be speaking on today, and I just felt drawn to this particular passage. Um, It was coming up in prayer as well, and uh, I just felt that this is where God was saying, this is where you need to go today. Um, And we'll focus on John chapter 10, verse 10, which is why the title is Abundant Life. So, verse 1 says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he has brought out all his own He goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice, and there there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And Jesus is speaking here. And the context in which he is speaking is actually John 
uh, chapter 9. We need to have read John chapter 9 to get this. And the situation is that Jesus has healed a man who was born blind. He spat in the, the ground. He put mud on the man's eyes. He instructed him to go and wash his eyes at the pool of Siloam, which he did. And then he opened his eyes and he could see. And everybody was amazed that this man could see. But the Pharisees were trying to figure out what's happened here, what's went on. How did this come about? And uh, the upshot of the story, if you read it, is that the Pharisees basically reject this man. And uh, they also reject Jesus. And uh, one of the things that they say in John chapter 9 is quite interesting. It stuck out to me. He said, uh, they said to this man, you are this fellow's disciple. And he would have become his disciple. But they go on to say, we are disciples of Moses. That's John chapter 9, verse 28. Do you think Moses felt that the people that were following him in his day were his disciples? Do you think Moses felt like he was leading people? Or do you think he felt a wee bit kind of discouraged? As I read the Old Testament, and I read the account of the people coming out of Egypt, I kind of think things have changed. And it made me think about, this is me going off on a tangent, sorry. It made me think sometimes about that it was better in that day thing. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, if we went to a church in the past and we maybe kind of think, ah, it was better in, in those days. It was better in, you know, under that pastor and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you've ever said that. I don't know if you've ever thought that. But here are the Pharisees saying uh, that it would have been better it would have been better if we just kind of stayed under Moses, even though we rejected loads of the stuff that Moses tried to bring and give us. We rejected all that. Um, and, and it's funny how we can look back and think that things were so wonderful back then. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, the people have an opinion about Jesus. Many of them said he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? And... Uh, even to the man himself, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. This is the man who's just been healed. This is a man who's come to Jesus, who Jesus has accepted, who Jesus has healed and has set him free. And the Pharisees are saying this to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Can I read those words again? Because they're really, really strong. How dare you lecture us? And behind that is the pride of the Pharisees. The Pharisees think that they are the people. And there's a real danger if we allow ourselves to become that way. Jesus never said that. He never expressed himself in this way. And it says that they threw the man out. And I want us to remember that Jesus doesn't throw people out. Jesus brings people in. It's Jesus' desire that the church be built and that people are drawn into that church. And it says of the man here, uh, crucially, he believed in Jesus. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. What an incredible picture. This man has an encounter with Jesus. And it sets Jesus off on this discussion about sheep and shepherds. A discussion 
which should have been familiar to people who uh, were used to these. In fact, isn't it interesting that the illustrations which Jesus uses are still as relevant today, 2,000 years later? You might not keep sheep. Does anybody in here keep sheep? Just in case I have missed something. Okay, we don't keep sheep. Sometimes, occasionally, we look after them when we're asked to, Alan. But Jesus would have been so familiar with what he was talking about, and his listeners so familiar. In John uh, 10, uh, Jesus begins to explain, he's trying to explain things which are complicated in a simple way using an illustration. And he refers uh, uh, to the Jews here, those who have accepted him, who are his sheep. He's talking about people who are part of Israel, the true Israel. He's saying, these are my sheep. He's not talking about the church at this point in time. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about those who are Jewish and who believe and trust in the Messiah and Him as Jesus. But he also says, I have other sheep which are not of this pen. And he's then talking about us, the church, the Gentile church. And so he begins to set in motion something that the Jewish people would never have considered. This man they threw out, he was a Jew. But later, the gospel would go to the Gentiles, to us. And I, I just think it's incredible that somewhere, you know, in the past, you know, I think, I think about how I became a Christian. And wouldn't it be interesting if they had ChristianAncestry.com? That'd be really cool where you could go back and trace trace all the way back and the people that introduced you to Jesus and who introduced them to Jesus and who introduced them to Jesus until you go all the way back and you find one of these apostles that we read about in Acts who came and shared the gospel with somebody and people responded to it and, and here we are, the sheep which are of another sheep pen, another fold. And I just think that's incredible. We're brought in and we become one. The Jews and the Gentiles become one in Christ. I'll put a little picture on the screen just to give us an idea of what a sheep pen might look like, of what a shepherd might look like. And uh, Jesus talks about uh, himself as being the shepherd. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. He describes himself as the shepherd, the one who's looking after the sheep. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20, he is referred to as the great shepherd. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4, he's described as the chief shepherd. So anybody who has a shepherding role in church, people who look after the sheep, people who look after other Christians, anybody who has a shepherding role recognizes that Jesus is the good shepherd he is the great shepherd, and he is also the chief shepherd, and he is the one that we're accountable to at the end of the day, all of us. The Pharisees, by contrast, are the hired hands. These are the ones who run at the sight of the wolf. There's a clear distinction between people who are in it to win it and people who are in it to serve And this applies right across the board to church leaders, congregations. Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we in it to win it? Or is there a humility about us as we serve the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords. Jesus also said that he was the gate. It is through Christ that we enter into the way of salvation. There is no other way. We can't become a Christian unless we first come through Jesus. We need to acknowledge who he is, what he has done for us, and we need to accept that and walk in his ways. He is the gate. There's only one way. And the Bible describes it as a narrow way. And there's a personal dimension to John chapter 10, which we're going to focus on. Um, you know, when it talks about the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. I don't know how you, you interpret that when you read that. There's a personal dimension. So he's come to steal from me, but there's also a corporate dimension. And one of the, the songs we were singing, um, which one was it? I will rise when he calls my name. You know, I, I kind of thought, Maybe we should rewrite the words of that song so that we pluralize it. We will rise when he calls our names. It's very easy as Christians to start thinking about number one, numero uno, myself, and forget that actually God has called us into a body and we are together and connected together. So there's a corporate dimension to what I'm going to share uh, this morning as well. And let me say, and I'm only finishing my introduction, uh, that Satan wants to see the church destroyed. He wants it to come to an end. But even he knows that the church is advancing. And he even, even he knows that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's so important, it's vital that we look behind what's happening in our lives, in our church, in the spiritual things, we need to look behind what is presenting itself on the surface at the things which are spiritual causes, the things which are behind. All the time, we need to be aware that there is something behind everything. It might be our own spirit, okay? Fair enough. It might be our own spirit that's behind some of the things that we see. But sometimes behind what's happening is a darker spiritual world, and we need to be aware of that. So let's delve into John chapter 10, verse 10. And we'll start by thinking about the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. We need to grasp that we live in a spiritual world. It's so easy to go out into our day and to forget that we are spiritual beings living in a spiritual world. It's so easy because we get consumed by the body and the physical and all that stuff. But in this world, there are other spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings, but we're, as Peter Cochran says, trapped in a body. But there is a world full of spiritual beings, the devil being one of them. And these spiritual beings are out to wreak havoc in our world and to wreak havoc in people's lives. And the Bible talks about the devil as being our enemy. Why am I talking about the devil? As we were sharing when we were praying there, God's quite upfront with us. He's given us his word. He's shown us things. He's explaining things to us. But the devil is subtle. And we need to expose the devil's work and the devil's ways, which is what I'm going to try and do this morning. Why? Because we live in a spiritual world and the devil is out to destroy the church 
And he will do that by picking off one person at a time and playing the long game. This is what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. That doesn't sound too good, does it? I went to the safari park for the first time up in wherever it is. Blair Drummond, that's the one. And uh, just witnessed the lion close up, driving through the, the kind of place, the enclosure, and uh, man, this is a scary creature. I'm so glad there was a big mass of fence between me and the lion. And uh, oh, I'll save that story for another time. There's another story. But he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for people to devour. And I've showed the nature videos in the past, haven't I? If you remember, of the beast that kind of gets isolated and how the lions will go after the one that's isolated. And John chapter 10, verse 10 says that he comes to steal. And what does he come to steal? Well, he comes to steal the sheep. Let's think about it on a corporate level. It says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal away the sheep from the flock. He wants to steal you and I away from the church. He wants to steal sheep from the good shepherd. He wants to steal us from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And on a more personal level, he wants to rob you of what God has given you. You know, I'm thinking about uh, Acts uh, chapter 20, and you need to picture the scene here. Paul is on the seashore. He's about to set sail on a ship, and he calls the elders from the church of Ephesus together, and they stand there on this beach, and they share, and they get really emotional as the, the elders there realize that Paul is about to leave, and they're never going to see him again, because Paul is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be taken captive. He's going to end up appearing before all sorts of judges and magistrates before eventually going to Rome. But Paul, when he's in prison, he writes to the church at Ephesus and he instructs them. But one of the things that he says here in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 is, watch out for the wolves. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? It's an interesting thing for Paul to say to these elders, watch for the wolves. And I think more and more in our churches, up and down the nation, we need to be so careful. We need to be careful of those who try to steal the sheep away. I don't know if anybody saw any of the stuff about Waco. Remember the Waco, Texas thing? There's been stuff on the TV about that recently. And I heard how David Koresh had went into, uh, it was a Seventh-day Adventist Bible college, and had began to try and lure people away into his own cult. We need to be really careful about what people teach and what they say. Because it's easy for leaders to abuse power. 
And what does the devil do? This is what he does. He begins to isolate us. And it's one of his best weapons. And isolation can look like so many things. But in essence, it is when people have wandered from the flock and are out of earshot of the shepherd. It's when we've wandered away from the flock and we're out of earshot of the shepherd. We're like, Jesus doesn't talk to me. I can't hear his voice anymore. Well, have you wandered away from the flock? And I think that it's so important that as a church we remain connected. I appreciate that we all have our own lives and families and works and all the stuff that we do. But God has called us together as a body and we need to remain connected as a body. And sometimes it's easy to kind of get distracted from that and to go off and do our own thing. But when we're off doing our own thing, there's a danger that we can become isolated. I think coming to church on a Sunday morning is vital. This is one of the ways that I keep myself connected with the flock. Okay, I have to be here because I get paid to be here these days. But even before that, the only time I would miss a Sunday is if I was away on holiday or I was ill and couldn't be here. Getting to church on a Sunday is vital. It's how we stay. It's one of the many ways that we stay connected with other people. It is vitally important. And there's a difference between isolation and solitude. Solitude is a healthy thing. There are times where we need to take time out and be with God, to take times out to pray. And that's good. But isolation is different. Isolation is when we withdraw, when we withdraw away from the flock for whatever reason, and we lose the ability to hear what God is saying to us. And it's so, so important. Isolation comes when we miss these key connection points in church. Things like connect groups, prayer times, Sunday worship, and a big long list of other ways in which we connect. And the way we become isolated can be really, really subtle. Really subtle. And you don't notice it's happening. But I encourage you to just be aware of of this fact that God, that God wants us to be here together to worship Him and the devil wants to take us away from that. He wants to take us away from worshiping God. I appreciate that it's a challenge. We all have priorities. But I need to ask the question, where does God fit in your life? Where does He fit? Is He really number one. Is he really number one? Where does God fit in your life? And where does being part of a body, this body called the church, where does that fit in your life? Where does it fit? Is it really number one? Or is it somewhere down the line, depending on your priorities? Be assured of this, and I, if I could emphasize it anymore, I would. The devil wants to take the sheep away from the flock, and we need to be 
on our guard all the time. He wants to steal sheep from the shepherd. He wants to steal your innocence from you. Think about Genesis chapter 5. I won't go into it for the sake of time. He wants to steal your peace from you. Jesus who comes to give us peace. Well, the enemy wants to steal that peace away. And he will use life and its circumstances to do that. He will use other people to do that. He also wants to steal away your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And when the enemy begins to steal your joy, he's trying to sap you of your strength. He's trying to get you to a place where you isolate yourself and you have your own little place to go, your own little woe is me place to go. Am I the only person that has a woe is me place? Where you go, oh, why does this always happen to me? The reality is it doesn't just happen to me because it happens to you and it happens to all of us. There's experiences of life that we go through and if we're not careful, getting into that place where our joy is stolen can become something that the enemy uses against us and we don't even know it's happening because our spiritual eyes are closed because of our situation. Our spiritual ears have been shut off because of our situation. And when we're not coming to church on a Sunday, where are we going to hear anything that challenges it? Where are we going to hear it? In a way where there's accountability, where somebody is going to pull you up and say, actually, you need to think about that. You know, we don't pull each other up enough as Christians. We'll let each other off with far too much. And there's a balance between being a good shepherd and being all pastoral and saying, there, 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 and being the shepherd who says, what you really need is a good kick up the backside. I know the times in my life where I've had the poor old me's, and what I really needed was a kick up the backside. Who's got the courage to do that? Who's got the courage to give you a kick up the backside? I know who's got the courage to give me a kick up the backside, right? (laughs) She's sitting on the second row over here, right? But think about it. Do we really love each other enough to challenge each other and say, by the way, have you thought about, there's nice ways that we can do it. And we need to think about how we say things, but recognize that the enemy is trying to rob you, rob you of your innocence through what you watch on the internet, for example, rob you of your innocence, your peace, your joy. His purpose is to kill. Let's move on in the notes. His purpose is to kill. What? Sheep. Us. His purpose is to kill the sheep. And the essence of the word that's used here is that the sheep are offered up in a sacrifice. Offered up as a sacrifice. Think about this. We are to offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. We offer up ourselves. But the devil doesn't want to do that. He wants to offer you up as a sacrifice to something else that's unwholesome and unholy. He wants to kill sheep. The enemy wants to kill the church. 
The enemy wants to kill the very essence of the life of God in you. He wants to kill you off. And he will try as hard as he can to kill sheep. And sometimes we see this happening in our world physically. You know, we prayed last week for the people in, the, you know, in, in countries where the, the church is persecuted. Physically. Physically killing the sheep. But he will also try to kill the spiritual life in us with accusation, with guilt, with doubt, and with fear. However, we need to hold tightly to what Scripture says about us. If you're struggling with accusation that's made against you, with guilt, with doubt, with fear, remember Isaiah the words that we read in Isaiah 53, that he was pierced for our transgressions. This is the Jesus that we've been singing about this morning. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Even in this passage we read, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why would you not want to be part of that? Jesus has given his very all for us. He's given everything. There was nothing left that he could give. He gave everything for us. Gave his life. The Bible says there, Jesus said he had the authority to lay it down and to take it up. He is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. John chapter 10 verse 17 18 says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus lay his life down of his own accord. And that puts a demand on each and every person that lives in this world because it says that he didn't die just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Instead of us Jesus was sacrificed. He was sacrificed that we might live. And through his sacrifice, we are offered healing and wholeness. He wants to steal sheep, but on a personal note, he wants to kill your hope. He wants to kill relationships in the church, in our families, in our denomination interdenomination. First the enemy isolates you. Then he goes in for the kill. And then he goes for complete and utter destruction. And it's so easy to forget that the enemy is doing this when we're in a place where we think nobody else knows what's happening in our lives. Maybe a place where we experience temptation and nobody else is in that place with us. And we forget that his purpose is to steal, to kill, and ultimately to destroy our Christian life. That's his purpose. And we forget that when we're in the place of temptation. And if we give in to the temptation, what happens is that we begin to withdraw from the church. We begin to come away, to come back, to isolate ourselves because we know within ourselves that something isn't right. 
Therefore, we isolate ourselves. Relationships are damaged. Our hope for restoration is crushed. He comes to destroy, ultimately to totally destroy the sheep. The enemy wants to destroy sheep, body, soul, and spirit. But remember, this applies on a corporate level. Do you think the enemy is happy that Whitburn Pentecostal Church exists and that we come here on a Sunday and we strike up musical instruments to worship God, that we praise God? Do you think he's happy with that? Do you think he's happy when people become Christians and begin to become disciples in the church? Do you think he's happy with that? I know that God's happy with that. I know that we're happy with that. But he absolutely hates it. And we need to begin to understand that his purpose is utter destruction. The destruction of the body, the church, the soul of the church and the spirit of the church, even this church. The enemy has tried in the past to destroy this church. And he nearly succeeded. But he didn't. And it makes me think that this church is here for a reason. This church is here for a purpose. This church exists to reach the people that exist outside of the walls of this church who don't come in here on a Sunday. Some of them come into our groups and our outreaches and our food bank and all these things. But this church exists for the glory of God and to see people saved and discipled. From the youngest to the oldest. That's why we exist as a church. Are you invested in it? Are you invested in this purpose? It's the greatest purpose you could ever invest in. Forget about stocks and shares. This is the greatest purpose you could ever invest in because it changes lives and it changes the destiny of people going forward. You know, one child being saved can, can totally change a whole generation going forward, change the whole direction of a family, things broken in families that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation, and God can break that, and He can set people free. It is the greatest purpose that we can ever be involved in, and the enemy detests it, and he wants to sow discord and division on a personal level. What does he want to destroy in you? He wants to destroy love, your love for other people and for God. He wants to destroy faith. But what does the, the Bible say? Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Resist the devil. As James talks about, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will run from you. It doesn't say take your big sword and run after him. Right, you'd have to be a wee bit cuckoo to do that, I think. It says to resist him. And we can talk more about that perhaps. He wants to destroy your love, your faith, and he also wants to destroy your witness. We need to learn to be overcomers. No matter what you're going through, we need to learn to be overcomers. You know, the enemy, he already knows that he's defeated. Sometimes it's us that forget. He knows he's defeated, and he's trying to take as many people with him as he can. 
If you read the letters to the churches in Revelation, what does it end with in each of these addresses? It ends with those who overcome. To those who overcome, I will. And the church needs to be an overcoming church. And where does he want to destroy you? In the area of your witness. But what does Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 say? It says that they overcame, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Are you invested in this today? How deeply invested in it are you? It's the greatest purpose that we can ever serve. And Jesus has come that we might have life and life in all its fullness. This is what the Bible says. He came to give life to the sheep. And what it te- what the, the language that's used here is that he actually gives us the ability to have life. He's given us that ability. He's done something in us that gives us the ability to experience the life of God. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He has made a way possible for us to experience life, to experience life in all its fullness. And what it says there is that it's a more than sufficient life. It's an over and above life. It's an abundant life. That's what he comes to give you and I. It's not a, I am just surviving life. It's an, I am thriving life. Even if you're in the middle of difficult circumstances, you can lead an overcoming life. But the life doesn't come from within you. It comes from God into you. It's about receiving that life into your very being. Luke chapter 12, verse 23 says this, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. We're talking about our spiritual life here. And our spiritual life and well-being is of far greater value at the end of the day. We need to begin to understand that He has come to give us this life. And what has God done for us? Well, we can say, if we're Christians, that we're born again. Something has been birthed within us. We're a new creation. We can say that we're accepted into the fold. We're accepted into this little flock, this little pen. Perhaps maybe this little pen called Whitburn Pentecostal Church, but it's a far bigger thing than we can even begin to imagine. We're accepted into the family of God. And we're secure because the Good Shepherd watches over us. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. And also, we know that we are not condemned. And maybe somebody needs to hear that today, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Does that mean to say that we just get away with doing all our stuff? The Bible says that, you know, some people were thinking, well, if, if, if God gives us grace, then surely 
it doesn't matter if we sin because the more we sin, the more grace we get, and that's a good thing. No, that's not what it's talking about. Just because God lavishes grace on, a, on us doesn't mean to say that we live in our sin and our frailties and our weakness. So, we know that we're not condemned because we're in Christ, but we need to listen for the Holy Spirit convicting us at the same time. And if I could say just a few things as we summarize, and time really is marching on, always remain within earshot of the shepherd. It's not so much about him hearing us, it's about us hearing him. Stay connected to the flock. Simply being alive in this planet today can steal your spiritual life. And this is why we need to stay connected. Stay connected to God. Stay connected to the fellowship that he's planted you in. Cultivate a daily walk with God. It's so, so important. Cultivate a daily walk with God. Let's not get up and go into a day without bringing God into that day. However we do that. Bible reading, worshiping, praying. So important. Cultivate good habits of corporate worship. Being here when we come together as the church to worship and turning up and bringing what God has done in you, bringing who you are into this. And to recognize the grave dangers of isolation. Isolation isn't an option in the body of Christ, but we need to be aware that sometimes this is what happens. And also to enjoy good grazing, but to watch for the wolves. Watch out for false teachers. Watch out for accusation. And let us remember that it is Jesus who is the source of our spiritual life. And it's through him that we're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Let's bow our heads in prayer as the band come back up. Just as we draw our service to a close today. And uh, just if I can challenge us as church today and ask the questions again, are we within earshot of the shepherd? Or have we wandered off on our own and become isolated? And as I was praying, I thought I had to challenge people who may be listening uh, to this message online. Perhaps somebody who's listening to this message and they are isolated. And, you know, there's sometimes there's, there's reasons why we're isolated. Uh, perhaps to some extent if we're uh, housebound or uh, we're sick and, you know, in a, in a sense that's isolation, but it's out with our control. I'm talking about when we isolate ourselves and uh, disengage from church. And I really felt the Holy Spirit saying to somebody who may listen to this message, uh, perhaps in the future, that you need to get yourself connected to a local church and you need to get plugged into the life of that church and that you need to really rise to the challenge that Jesus sets before you. Are you listening to God's voice? Are you daily connected to the Good Shepherd? Do you hear His voice? Do you recognize it? And are you following it? You see, the Good Shepherd that we're talking about here, the, the analogy which Jesus used, the people would understand that the shepherd in this country doesn't drive the sheep from behind, but he leads the sheep from the front. 
and the sheep follow him. They recognize his voice and they follow him. And we need to keep ourselves within earshot of the shepherd. And we do, one of the ways that we do that is by getting before him every day and saying, here am I, send me. Here am I, use me today. Here am I, I've come to worship you today. Father, here am I, I just want to hear your words over my life today. Father, here am I in the middle of this difficult situation and I just want to hear what you want to say to me in this situation. Are you connected to the flock in a meaningful way? And Father, we just thank you for we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is not just a figment of our imagination, but that he is real in our lives. And Father, we want to, we just want to respond to what you would say to us today, Father, and open up our hearts. And Father, just to be honest before you this morning. And Father, maybe some of us are less connected than we have been in the past, would like to be, should be, and Father, we just pray that you'd help us to find the way back into being connected. Father, to find the way back into the flock if we've wandered off. Father, to find the way back into your presence if we've been perhaps not paying enough attention to you in the last wee while. And Father, we just pray that you'd help us to get connected to this incredible purpose. Father, this purpose which you have Father, to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that you have commanded us. And just as we're finishing off the service this morning, I don't know if you feel you want to respond to this or not. Um, I recognize it's quite a personal word and if you just want to just respond just for a few minutes, uh, just as the band plays uh, quietly just for a, a minute or so, uh, can I encourage you just to respond in your heart and just to pray a prayer in your heart, a prayer that brings you back to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that you are accomplishing your purposes. Father, that your hand is here. And Father, we pray that in the days and weeks and months to come, Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself to this fellowship in greater ways. Father, that you'd reveal yourself in this fellowship in ways that you've not done before. Father, that you would begin to do a new thing. And Father, that we would be able to see you at work. And Father, we pray that we would be at work with you. Father, moving in step with the Spirit. 
Father, that we would just be keeping time with you. And Father, that we would move in synchronization. Father, we know that we have an enemy who seeks to come against us. And Lord, we we recognize that this morning. But Father, we recognize that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have poured out your spirit. And Father, that we have been able to receive of that. And Lord, we pray that as we go into this week that we would know your presence in ever-increasing measure. Father, that we would know your voice deep in the very recesses of our spirit. Father, that you give us the wherewithal to respond to the life that you want to pour within it. And Father, we pray that you would bring us alive in different areas. And Father, for some people today in this place, Lord, I pray that you begin to bring them alive in new areas of service. Father, in new areas of being gifted by the Holy Spirit. And Father, using the gifts of the Spirit, as we've already heard this morning, but Father, that you'd raise up people to enter into new levels of uh, leadership and gifting and anointing. Father, uh, that they may... uh, work out your purposes for their lives in order that you might be glorified and that this uh, town in which we live will be reached. Father, that this area in which we live will be reached for Jesus. And Father, we pray that people would indeed see the light. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that amongst many other things, he says that he is the light of the world. And Father, we pray that that light would shine in our hearts, that it would shine it into our community. And Father, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.